Hello and welcome. We are on the Revival Road with evangelist Chance Walters. If you are new to the podcast, each week we will upload a new message taken from one of our ministry opportunities from all over the world. Our prayer is that the Word of God would challenge you and change you, conforming you into the image of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. For more information, to give or to send in prayer requests, go to our website at www.chancewalters.org. And now, here is evangelist Chance Walters. We hope you enjoy the program. Today, we are going to continue our summer series on the Father's of our faith. And today I'm super excited to share with you the life of a man that many people may not understand. But before we get there, I want you to know that we're on our seventh week of God's generals, men and women who have changed the course of history for the glory of God. And it's been a wild ride. We've dipped into the life of Billy Graham, Reinhard Bunke, David Wilkerson, Catherine Kuhlman. Um, There's others, but I want you to know we're not stopping. We've got over a month left. And so please share this broadcast. Please share this material. We believe that it is the building blocks of our faith when we reflect upon those who have been used by God. It stirs us and actually catapults us into our God-given destiny. Why? Because if they did it, we can do it too. So of all the outstanding black American religious leaders in the 20th century... Are you ready? One of the least recognized and probably most understood is a man by the name of William J. Seymour. He was the unsung pastor of the Azusa Street Mission in Los Angeles, California. I've been there a few times. It's very moving to reflect upon the history of this worldwide revival that sparked in Southern California, and surprisingly, this was the catalyst of the worldwide Pentecostal movement. Only in the last few decades have scholars become aware of its importance. And you may have heard the term Azusa Street Revival, and this was a street downtown Los Angeles, and in the early 1900s, something happened here that we're going to talk about in a few moments, but I want to prepare the way, if you will, as we look at this man's life. William Joseph Seymour, he was born in Centerville, Louisiana on May 2nd, 1870, to former slaves Simon and Phyllis Seymour. Raised as a Baptist, Seymour was given to supernatural dreams and visions, even as a youth, and when he hit age 25, He moved out of this this bubble and went his own way. And he moved to Indianapolis where he worked as a railroad porter. And then he began to wait on tables in a fashionable restaurant. He served his fellow man. And history tells us around this time he contracted smallpox and he went blind 
in his left eye. In 1900, he relocated to Cincinnati, where he joined the Reformation Church of God headquarters, also known as the Evening Light Saints. And this intentionally multiracial movement was deeply rooted in ideals of social reform, and this allowed Seymour to begin his pastoral career preaching to mixed audiences as he formed his own ideas about race and faith. And it was during this time that he that he steeped into a radical holiness theology. And you and I both know that everything that God allows serves a purpose. And so whatever you're facing right now in your life is building you to face your Goliath in the next season. God doesn't waste anything. And so it was with William Seymour. God took him on this journey, preparing him for a worldwide spread revival. And in 1903, Seymour moved to Houston, Texas in search of his family. And there he joined a small holiness church pastored by a black woman, Lucy Foro. And soon um, she connected him with Charles Parham. And Parham was a holiness preacher. See, the Bible says, Who shall ascend to the mountain of God? He who has clean hands and a pure heart. The lower you go, the higher God can send you. And so it was with Seymour. God connected him with William Parham, who was then leading a Bible school in this city. Because of the segregation laws of the time, William was not able to officially attend the school, but his hunger for God compelled him, and he would sit in the hallway outside of the classroom door in order to learn as much as he possibly could. There was a hunger in his heart for holiness. This is a key. While in Houston, he was frequently involved in evangelistic outreaches in the black areas of town, and Seymour made connection with other believers in the early 1900s that served a strong foundation for his future. Everything in his life seemed to be mixed, if you will, but God was setting him up for great success as he sent Seymour to Los Angeles, California. And upon his revival, he started a small group. And this small stir of holiness in the heart of downtown L.A. brought about persecution because of his bold preaching about purity, sanctification, and the baptism of of the Holy Spirit. And the scripture warns us in the last days there will be a tickling of the ear that pastors will preach what people want to hear, not what they need to hear. And this happened to William Seymour. After about a month in the city, he arrived at the church to teach on a Sunday evening and he found the door locked. The city was persecuting him because of the doctrine we could say, that he was teaching. And his zeal was not dampened because soon, shortly thereafter, they moved buildings, if you will. They went to the Bonnie Bray Street House and started a prayer meeting. Sometimes 
in order to grow, you need to be pruned. And this is what happened to this movement. God allowed the persecution to prune the people. And they went to a small group of people in the Bonnie Bray Street House. I've been there. And the first gatherings were attended just by a few washwomen and their husbands. But within a month, these humble prayer meetings exploded and the Holy Spirit began to anoint people with the power of the Holy Spirit as they would pray and sing in the Spirit. And the exponential growth soon caused the group to move to a larger building. See? 312 Azusa Street, and this was the beginning of what became known as the Azusa Street Revival. People streamed to these meetings from all over the nation and eventually from all over the world to be witnesses of what God was doing. Many were saved, others were healed, countless people were were set free, filled with the Holy Spirit. They received strength and and encouragement to continue, listen, to live in holiness. When was the last time you heard a message about holiness? And for the next three years, the Azusa Street revival became the epicenter. It was almost like the eye of a hurricane as God moved. And this movement didn't just stay within the walls of one building. No, over the next few months, missionaries were sent out to the West Coast, to the East Coast. Africa, Asia, Europe, Australia, every continent, the gospel was being preached as the fire was sparked at Azusa Street. This legacy has formed and fashioned many, many, many influential leaders in the body of Christ over the past century. You can trace its roots all the way back to the early 1900s. Something exploded in downtown L.A. All because people humbled themselves to pray. Pat Robertson, Oral Roberts, T.D. Jake, so many, so many mighty men and women of God were impacted by, by this humble beginning. And it was also the precursor to multiple major denominations such as the Assembly of God, the Church of God in Christ, and the Vineyard Christian Fellowship. One man, a man of great humility. This is how it began. William Seymour was the face and the leader of this revival and the testimonies of those around him who saw his life attest to his character. And one man, Frank Bartleman, he was a co-laborer, some say the chief intercessor of this movement, described him as saying, he was very plain, I quote, spiritual and humble. Brother Seymour generally sat behind two empty milk crates, one on top of the other, and he usually kept his head inside the top of one During the prayer meeting, there was no pride in him, end of quote. The man that was closest to him wrote these words. He was plain, spiritual, humble. He buried his head in a milk crate during prayer so that nobody could see him 
behind the pulpit. I don't know about you, but this just moves me. A pastor from Chicago went to Azusa Street and described Seymour as this. He walks and talks with God. His power is in his weakness. He seems to maintain a helpless dependence on God and is a simple-hearted little child and at the same time is so filled with God that you can feel the love and power of God every time you get near to him. End of quote. Wow. William Seymour was a man fully surrendered to God and the Lord used him mighty to bring about a major reawakening to the early 20th century America and eventually the whole world. Wow, we can learn so much from this man's life. He said, there are many well wells today. There are many wells, but they are dry. There are many hungry souls today, yet they are empty. So let us come to Jesus and take him at his word so we will find the well of salvation and then we will be able to draw out waters of the well for Jesus is that well, and the Spirit is that water. And if any man that is saved and sanctified can feel the fire burning in his heart as often as he calls on the name of Jesus, let us honor the blood of Jesus every moment of our lives, and then we will be sweet in our souls, end of quote. These are the words from a man who humbled himself. He, 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 he wrote this, the, the depth of personal revival depends upon the depth of your personal repentance. The lower you go, my friend, the higher you can go. With clean hands and a pure heart, can somebody say amen? If you want to read... Um, some books and some material about this man's life. Furthermore, the Azusa Street Revival by Robert Leorden is a really good book. Azusa Street, an eyewitness account by Frank Bartleman is an amazing book that I read. And the words that changed the world, Azusa Street Sermons by none other than William Seymour himself. So what can we take away today? What can we learn from this man's life? As Christians, I believe we can learn five lessons from this man's spiritual leadership. Number one, really quickly, don't let your social location defeat your spiritual destiny. The term social location describes factors that indicate a person's position within society, such as race, social class, man-made caste systems, natural ability, prosperity, and so on. These classifications do not matter, okay, in the kingdom of God. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. Come on, somebody. For William Seymour, he was born in 1870 to slaves, Seymour was black in a nation that had recently abolished slavery. So the struggle was fresh, real, and literally in his face. Secondly, Seymour's parents, they did own a small farm, but they were still a working poor 
family. Thirdly, in the early 1900s, he contracted smallpox, and history tells us he lost his left eye, replacing it with, with a glass prosthetic eye. So can you see the social inabilities mounting up in this man's life? By any human measurement, Seymour lived on the margins of American society, persecuted, poor, and physically disabled. And yet when God poured out his spirit at Azusa Street, he started at those margins, choosing Seymour to lead. Consequently, (laughs) an earth-shaking Revival. This always amazes me. Read your Bible. 1 Corinthians 1. God loves to choose the unwise, the least qualified. As one pastor said, God elects the rejects. So starting at the margins is not a new thing for God. In proof of God's word, the Apostle Paul wrote, God loves to choose the foolish Things of the world to shame the wise. He loves to choose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. And Seymour's path to leadership reminds us we must let, we must never let our past or present circumstances defeat God's intended destiny for you and for me. Can somebody say amen? Number two, we need to keep our eyes on Christ, not our critics. Seymour and the Azusa Street Mission endured criticism from the early days of the revival. For example, three days after Seymour's little congregation started, when it birthed downtown, the LA Times ran a front page story entitled, Weird babble of tongues. And the stories lead dripped with disdain. They wrote breathing strange utterances and, and mouthing a creed which, which it seems insane from a mortal perspective. And a little bit later, they wrote another article that, that, that said, Disgraceful intermingling of races is appearing in our city. Can you believe this? Persecution catapults the people of God into their God-given purpose. Somebody else wrote that the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. Whenever persecution comes, it causes the gospel to spread. And this is what the world does. They think they're trying to stop a move of God, or make fun, if you will. But what really happens is they throw gas on the fire, and it spreads. And so while the press bade, Seymour prayed. And God answered his prayers, and the gospel spread. Acts 4.29, Now, Lord, consider their threats, and enable your servants to speak your word With great boldness. May we too pray such bold prayers as we keep our eyes on Christ and not our critics. Number three, we also need to keep our eyes on the giver, not the gifts. The gifts of the Spirit manifested in this movement. 
but it wasn't the mission's primary focus. Seymour stated in the issue bluntly, don't go out here talking in tongues. Let's talk about Jesus. I don't know about you, but I like that. For Seymour, the baptism of the Holy Spirit had a purpose. It wasn't the same thing as conversion, okay? In his eyes, it was sanctification. It was the power, okay, for the mission. What's the mission? The salvation of souls. He also said it this way. Many people today are sanctified, cleansed from all sin, and perfect, perfectly consecrated, Many people today are sanctified, they're cleansed from their sin, but they have not obeyed the Lord according to Acts 1, 4, 5, and 8. For this is real Pentecostal power. When you share your faith with a lost and dying world. Come on, Seymour's mission, okay, was to reach the world. He was mission-minded because he was end-time focused. For the day of the Lord was coming soon, he taught, and Christians needed to do the work of evangelism at home and abroad. So people went out from the revival sharing their faith and their gift to the glory of God. Number four, he, he, he also taught that real power was real love. This is what we can learn from his life of leadership for three years, God poured out His Spirit on this place, and we continue to experience the effects of this mighty move of God today. And yet, we should also know that this movement had its heartaches, and I won't go through them. But but any time God moves, the enemy moves. Um, it, he also moves. He tries to distort and deter. He tries to stop. He, he tries to get people to turn around. And, and, and we soon found out that when the enemy comes in like a flood, the Lord raises up a standard of love. So with these conflicts in mind, consider the importance of what Seymour wrote in 1915. True spiritual power, when you sum it all up, is just more of God's love. If it does not bring more love, it is simply a counterfeit love and compassion. In other words, as the Apostle Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 1, If I speak in tongues of men or angels and do not have love... I am only a resounding gong and a clanging symbol. If it does not birth love, it's not true compassion. It's a counterfeit. And the fifth and final leadership lesson we can take away from this general of the faith, I put it this way, we need to hide behind the cross because it's all about Christ and Him crucified. Jesus gave us this example. As for the joy set before Him, He endured the cross in humility, in love and compassion, in a heart for the world. And William followed in the footsteps of Jesus Christ. 
as he hid behind the pulpit. Think about this. What if you went to church this coming Sunday and the pastor walked out behind the wall and he hid himself behind the pulpit and began to weep and pray? It would pluck your heartstrings. It would move you. You would say that this man is a man after God's own heart. And today I'm grateful for William Seymour's influence in the global church. And I am thankful to God that Seymour taught us the purpose of the church is greater than any cultural movement or man-made moment. And may these signs, wonders, and miracles be reinstated in our life and ministry through humility, love, and and prayer. And I want to conclude with these words. Do it again, Lord, in Jesus' name. Do it again. Amen. Father, today we thank you for this general in the faith. It's our seventh week, and I feel like that there's something special. As we meditate, as we pray, as we absorb the words that we've just heard. May may we not be hearers of the word only, but may we be doers of the word because a faith without action is dead. A faith without action is a dead faith. Help us put into practice the things that we've learned from your holy word. A man with an experience is never at the mercy of a man with an argument. These men and women forged our faith. They they walked on uncharted waters. They accomplished the kingdom of God. They put into practice the things that they read and heard. And you moved upon the waters and did things unheard. Do the same thing in our generation, O oh God. Do not forsake us until we declare this power to the next generation. That's our prayer. William J. Seymour, a man of holiness... May that righteousness be imputed from the heart of God to us today. May we have clean hands and a pure heart. Oh God, thank you for William J. Seymour. Stirs us up in the faith today. Oh God, we love you. We turn our attention towards you. And we worship you in the mighty name of Jesus. Lord, dip me in the kerosene of your spirit and set me ablaze that I may burn for you. This program was made possible by the generous partners and friends of Chance Walters Ministries International. Until next time, we are on the Revival Road. For more information, download our free ministry app or go to our website at www.chancewalters.org. Indeed, 
the best is yet to come.